in in Goeth. They're crushed by the etzimetzius of Goeth. And what is it that bothers them? The fact that the Abish is not revealed. That's what bothers them. Because the Iker Rutzen of a Jew, the Rutzen Amiti is the words of the Rebbe, right? Second line. Rutzen Amiti Shokolachat Mitzvah, the true desire of every Jew is that the Abishta should be revealed in Elam Hazah. That's what every Jew truly wants, and that's what's connected to and affects the essence of the existence of that Jew. If we can tap into that, so then we reach that level, the second level of Kosis Lamar, which the Rebbe will explain. V'yesh Lamar. Yud. Shebechinesa ma'or de neshama. This level of ma'or de neshama. Hamizgalis, the source of light, right? Not the light, but the source of light. Kosis lama'or. Hamizgalis al yadei, ha'inyan, the kosis. That's revealed by virtue of the fact that a person has crushed mizeshin, imsoim begolis, the second level. He nailis yeser is higher, mibechinesa ma'or, than the level of the source of the soul, the essence of the soul, that's revealed, Okay, so the Rabbi just said something very interesting. There's two... Th- to say such a thing is really... <laughs> meaning... You know, when you're, when you're learning Ksiddis and you might ask a question of your mashpia, and then your mashpia will give it to you over the head for suggesting that there's such a thing called levels in etzim, right? And etzim isn't about levels. Etzim essence is about an essential state of being that has no levels, etc., etc., and that's ingrained in your head. And, that, and that's true, and that's, you have to understand that, and that's important. And then you come across, you know, and what the Rebbe says here is basically... There are two different levels in Hetz. <laughs> so well, but wait a minute. Didn't I get it over the head from my teacher that told me there was no such thing as two different levels in Hetz and essential reality is essential reality and it's a level, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a state of being beyond levels and higher and lower. And that. Yes, that's true. Right? And yet the Rebbe is saying there are ultimately two different levels in Etzim. In other words, basically what the Rebbe is about to say, I mean, he just said it, but he's about to explain it. There's a level of Etzim in the Shama that's revealed through Mesiris Nefesh, and that you and I can call Yechidish of Nefesh. Right? And everybody knows that name. Right? That's the name of Etzim in the Shama. And then, there's Etzim itself. Not its name. Not how you, so to speak, describe it. Right? Okay? Now, that's very hard to understand, but the, the Rebbe is going to explain these two different levels, and we'll, it'll it'll be clear to us at least the expression of these two different levels. Right? But in Akharish Baruch itself, it might be easier to understand in terms of understanding something about Akharish Baruch himself, so to speak. In the essence of Akharish Baruch, so then we, we actually do pay heed to two different levels of reality, so to speak. Meaning, there's the Abishtha himself, Akharish Baruch just is. Where did he come from? We've been there before, right? We've done this exercise, but it's an exercise that we all have to do every now and then to just appreciate what it means that there's this being. Where did he come from? He didn't. He just is. Why is he? No reason. What's his purpose? No purpose. What do you mean no purpose? Just is. Absolute being. Where did it come from? Where does that absolute being come from? It didn't. Well, how can that be? It can't. Meaning, in terms of our understanding of reality, there's no such thing. What do you mean? Everything comes from something else. And isn't that what we, isn't that the fly, the flag we fly when people talk about the fact that the world just sort of came into existence? Don't be ridiculous. This thing is just coming into existence. Something must have been the source of the world's existence. Oh, a big bang. Well, okay, what went bang? I don't know. Who made it go bang? I don't know. But I'll, I'm satisfied with the Big Bang and I can you know, get on with my life and not be bothered by the issue. Okay, fine. But there actually is this being that is beyond anything imaginable. We call that being God, even though God itself is, you know, in English, we say that it's a name. Don't say Hashem, because Hashem is an aspect of the Ur, of revelations, the source of the Ur. The name that relates to the Ur. Don't say Elohim, that's the name that relates to Kalim. Okay? 
fine. It's the etzim of a just the essence of godly being. Okay, so now, in that state of reality, which is completely beyond anything we can imagine, but we can uh, understand that such a state exists. We have no clue what it looks like, what it is. Now, we've talked about this also, but it's important to remember it and, 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 and review it. Right? What, what is it that we understand about Etzem? Metzius, its existence. We're talking about it. We understand the fact that such a state of being exists. What don't I understand about Etzem? It's Mahus, what it is, Maze. That I don't understand. You can't possibly understand. Okay, but relative to Etzem, interestingly enough, and you can find this in your daily prayers, and we've talked about this before. In Etzem itself, there are basically two levels. The Rebbe Shab talks about this in
That's when we had internalized the Torah. So it became part of our being that we couldn't imagine life without it. We were willing to give up our life because life without it isn't life. Who? One of the reasons we said, that which, and this is the, the so to speak, the, the conceptual mysterious nefesh at the time of Matan Torah, that which we preceded Nasev and Lenishma said we'll do and then we'll hear. In other words, whatever you say, we're going to do. And if we and then later we'll try to come into to some level of understanding of that. But our connection to it is Lamailamitambadas. It's beyond intellect. It's not based on intellect. That's why we got a crown. And even our intellect is higher than intellect because we use intellect to bring into us a level beyond intellect. We don't use intellect to understand what's true. To, to, so to speak, to decide what's true. We use intellect to connect to what's true because that truth is beyond us. So that's why we get a crown even for our intellect. Nasa Vinishma, both get crowns this week. Nasa Vinishma, Bamatantara, Haya, what happened? Haya Mipnesha, Kofalem Harkagigis. Kodesh Baruch held the mountain above our head. So what is that in, what is that in Panemius? Gilu Imilamaidu. There was a revelation from above. There's unbelievable revelation. God, the, the mount, whole mountain is smoking. Right? The whole mountain turns to smoke instead of rock. Right? And, and there's this unbelievable revelation of God. And God says, do you want to keep the Torah? Well, who's going to say no? Right? Meaning, you have to be a complete moron not to, not to connect to that reality. I mean, everybody connected to that reality. Why? Well, it's right there. Okay. So that's why we say that, that that giving of the Torah, as I'll say, was, so to speak, under duress. Meaning what? Well, we had no choice. When things are absolutely clear, you have no choice. Right? I don't think that Bechir Chofshis, I mean, theoretically, Bechir Chofshis extends to walking into the middle of a busy highway with your eyes closed. Right? Theoretically. But... No healthy person is going to do that. That's ridiculous. Why in the world would you do that? Right? That, it's, I have the, theoretically, I have the free choice to do that. But I don't, I mean, if I do that, if God forbid someone does this, it's called suicide. Right? No one does that. Okay. No, one, no healthy person will do such a thing. Fine. So no normal healthy person will turn down the Torah when they're faced with such absolute clarity. It's absolutely clear to us that if you walk into a busy highway at rush hour, well, maybe at rush hour you can walk into it because they're all standing still. But, but, you know, if they're driving 65 miles an hour, so you don't try to beat the car. So you just don't. And you're so aware of that, interestingly enough, that even if you're walking on the street next to it, and this is sometimes used as a muscle for the idea of das, internalizing something so it becomes part of your consciousness. When you're walking along a busy street, it doesn't have to be a highway, most of us don't walk along highways, but you're walking along a busy street where there's traffic and there's buses and there's cars and all sorts of stuff, and, and, and you're walking along the sidewalk and you're facing the person on your left, the traffic, is, the traffic is on your right, you're facing the person on your left and you're talking to them, you have a sixth sense at all times of what's going on on your right and you're making sure that you're staying away from that. That's called das. You've internalized completely that danger and you're absolutely aware of its existence and even though you're very involved in what you're doing over here, that reality is, is, is ingrained in your consciousness and you're not going to fall off the curb into a bus. God forbid, not you. Right? Why? Well, the only time you, that people probably do it is when they're on their phones. And they walk into a bus. But a normal person having a conversation, okay, his phones turn people into abnormal people. Okay, so 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 that's called das. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely aware of that reality there. So Halavaya should be so aware of the Abishter as I'm walking along in reality. I could be very involved in a conversation about business or something that has to be talked about. I'm running a business. I'm on my way to a meeting with the with a partner, and so I'm talking about it, and working out what we're going to say. I'm very involved, and it's my it's an incredibly important meeting. It's going to save our business if it goes. Very, very involved in that. I'm not absolutely aware of the fact that there's traffic next to me. I can't have that conversation while I'm driving. Of course I can't, because I understand when I'm driving. I have the consciousness of what's going on. And said, right, I can do that. Even men can do that. Okay. 
That's called das, internalizing something. Okay. At Matantara, it was so absolutely obvious to us that the Abishter is there, that the idea of not accepting the Torah is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Right? Be absurd. Okay. So that's the duress, so to speak. Just like you're, so to speak, under duress that you can't walk into the road. Why not? Because there's cars. And it's absolutely clear that you can't do that. Oh, but I want to. Why? Right? No one normal would want to. At the time of Purim, the Kabbalah was mamish from below. Why? Because there was absolute concealment. And yet they accepted the Torah in terms of their own existence, not as a result of a Kaddish Baruch Hu's revelation, but in terms of their own Aveda, their own existence.
Wait, no, I, 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 but usually I'm a guest, right? So I have to somehow. I once did the live member sitting with my wife. My wife was my wife was actually you know feistier than me, but she was sitting there quietly, and I was just like, what are you? there were there were people complaining about the Israelis in Vancouver, complaining about the Israelis have nothing to do with, do with the Jewish community. I says, hold on a second. First of all, why are you complaining about the Israelis that have? Why aren't you complaining about the Vancouverites who have nothing to do with the Jewish community? There's twenty five thousand Jews like that and who grew up here. Why are you complaining about the guy who came from Eretz Israel? He did his time. Right? Ask him how many times he's been in a war. Now the guy just wants to chill a little. You blame him? I don't blame him. Is he right? I'm right, wrong. I don't blame him. He's been in two wars. The guy wants to chill a little and live in Vancouver like you do. So you go do that and you let him stay here. Right? It's unbelievable. Okay. But that guy, do you see the Messias Nefesh on that guy? No, you don't. Well, that's what the Rebbe's explaining. There was an explosion of Messias Nefesh, a different Messias Nefesh than the Messias Nefesh of the Yid in Russia, but still an expression of Messias Nefesh. If walking down the street and thinking, not thinking certain thoughts and not looking at certain things is what the Rebbe describes as Messias Nefesh for our generation. So certainly that guy on the front line is being Messias Nefesh. I remember when we were in the army, so our, uh, our basic training was pretty much of a joke. <coughs> but our officers were young guys who had just gone through pretty serious basic, you know, serious two, they were finishing. <coughs> this was the last six months or year of their three years, and they got to spend it with these, you know, old fogies in uh, in uh, what's called shlove bait, you know, people who don't get... Uh, don't get drafted at 18. We got, you know, I was the the second youngest guy. I was, I think, 29. So, uh, the guy from Sweden who was younger than me is 28. But um, so, so we we're asking them, you know, your your basic training was a little different than ours. So they said, yeah, it was a little different. We didn't even go on a march. We were supposed to. You're supposed to at least do one fairly serious march. You know, for us it would be four or five kilometers. But the, the Baruch Hashem. God bless the Arabs. They, we were near Ramallah, so the Arabs in Ramallah started revolting. We always thought they were revolting, but anyway, that night they... <laughs> so they started some revolt last night, that night, and so all of our officers had to go to Ramallah, and they couldn't take us on our nightly... We, had, we were supposed to go for like a five-kilometer walk at two in the morning, so they had to leave and go take care of what was going on in Ramallah, and so we missed our walk. We were not so unhappy about that. <laughs> So we sent a little note to the Arabs of Ramallah. Thank you very much for uh, your behavior last night. So, so, so we didn't even do that. These guys, we asked them, well, what did you do? Well, they, they walked. <coughs> they walked. Brought, I mean, it's sort of, it's not really a walk. It's sort of a slow jog from Yerushalayim to Cholon, which is, you know, 45 kilometers away. And, uh, and, you know, with 50 pounds on their back and with a stretcher, so the heaviest guy who couldn't do this would be on the stretcher, and they'd switch around carrying the stretcher. So we asked them, so, you know, when you do that, what happens? Said, well, basically, you want to die. You just want to die. Your chest is bursting. You don't know whether you can take another breath. You just want to die. And then somehow you just keep going and you break through it. And then you don't die. And you get there and you're still alive. So, so he said, okay, so, what, okay, what, what did you learn from that? Like, what's that about? This is a 20-year-old Israeli kid. It was, it was, there were two, two of them talking to us about it. They, they realized they could actually talk to us. We had a very good time the last two weeks. The first two weeks, they were nervous, just yelling at us the whole time. They said, would you stop yelling. If you just ask us, we'll do what you want. We're not 18. Just ask us to do what you want, and we'll do it. So they figured that out, and then we all became very friendly. And they would say, guys, can you please go over there? And you say, yeah, okay, no problem. <laughs> they loved it. They couldn't believe it. So, so... Uh, so we would schmooze a lot, and they found us very interesting. They, they, you know, they wanted to talk about us and our experiences, and you know, why we were doing what we were. Why are you thirty years old in an army all of a sudden? So uh, this, we asked him. So, so what did you learn? He said, "Well, basically, you learned that you can do anything if you have to." That's basically the idea. So, so when was that ever expressed? So he said, "Well." We were sent to Lebanon after basic training, and there was a there was a time when we were under fire for about 36, 40 hours. We were under fire from the enemy, and and, and it's not a good idea to go to sleep when people are shooting at you. It's just not a good idea, like because you might have to move because when they find out where you are, they start shooting away. So then you have to figure out a way to very silently and quickly move somewhere else. 
so they can't see you. And, and, you know, if you shoot back, so they find out where you are, right? So you have to be careful when you shoot back and how you shoot, because you don't want to just stop and shoot back. You want to shoot back when you can get them, because you know where they are, because they're shooting at you. So he said, we were under fire from a, a group bigger than us for about between 36 and 40 hours, and we just, you know, couldn't go to sleep. So we didn't. He said, not going to sleep for 40 hours was pretty hard, but we realized that if you have to do something, you can just do it. That's what they learned. Right. Okay, that's a pretty powerful lesson. <laughs> okay, Halavai and Yeshiva, we could figure out how to teach that lesson as successfully as the army taught it to that 18-year-old kid. Right. That if you have to do something, you just do it. I mean, let's get done. Right? I mean, there's no, there's no choice. Okay. So now, go find that guy and see what he looks like. Looks like anybody else. Was, this was 35 years ago, so where is he now? I don't know, so he's a 50-something-year-old. He's 55 years old. He's probably got a little pot belly. He's out of Milwim, right? He's finished doing all that. He did his Milwim until he was 42, 43. That's about when you get kicked out of a combat unit. Right? So, <coughs> I, I got lucky after I went to Milwim. They put me in a combat unit, so so I got out of My brother was he put in it. We were in we were in basic training together. It was like summer camp. He was in the top bunk. I was in the lower bunk, and uh, so we just happened to get drafted together. I mean, it was so so uh, they couldn't tell us apart. So they called us a kaplanim. They didn't know which was which. <laughs> we told them there was a third one, and we switched. Where one of us is always at home resting. <laughs> <laughs> so. So uh, they, were, they were really a good bunch, our officers. They were just, they were very cute. It took them a while, but they, they were very cute. They, they told us at the beginning, we, you know, we were standing there a little afraid of them because who knows what they could do to us. And uh, they told us how afraid they were of us because some of us were their parents' age. You know, they, they, at the beginning, they were, we said we were really afraid of you guys because like it was like ordering our parents around. Right? But then we realized you were okay. You were okay. Nothing. You guys wouldn't bite us. So uh, we, we, we learned, I, I don't know where I was going with my brother, but anyway, we learned a lot. We learned a lot about them. You also learned a lot about how, what makes this place tick. You can't really undo that. I'm not telling you to go into the army. You, can, you, know, you, you don't have to know what makes the place tick. But you can't understand the place at all unless you've been in the army because then you see what, what every 18-year-old Israeli goes through and you understand why they are like they are. Right? They're, they're you know, a little gruffer around the edges than your average American. Right, an American, when he's 18 years old, is having these people tell him about how he's the most important person in the world and so incredible, and you're the cream de la cream, and you're gonna you're the intellectual elite, and you're about blah, 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 blah. And, and uh, don't worry, I won't bother you. I won't say anything that'll harm you or upset you or you know make you feel bad. Okay, the 18-year-old Israeli is some 19-and-a-half-year-old is screaming at him, going, and then he'll do 25 push-ups and then run and then he's just ripping the shreds to this kid so he'll know what it means to be a soldier. Because a soldier can't decide, oh, you know, you, what you said hurts my feelings. Well, you know, the guy's shooting at you. You know, I don't, I'm not really interested about whether your feelings are hurt right now. There's some guy over there who wants to kill you. So just get it together and deal with life. Right? Sort of real, which is annoying, but it's what's out there. So can you see the mysterious nefesh of that guy? No. So that's what the Rebbe is describing in, in Ruchniyastika terms. It's like a Dover Nesef. It's something additional to who the person is, which is revealed momentarily. But it's not necessarily a, 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 an expression of the true conscious reality of that person right now. Though it's expressing itself through their consciousness. That's why the Rebbe says it's Kamei Dover Nesef. Okay. The second person, we'll see, right? First, I was going to continue the discussion of that person, and then we'll get to the second person. What about the person who reaches the level of Kosis Lamar? So that's a person, even when they're in a, in a state of Harkova, their mysterious nefesh is recognizable. When Rav Mendel got out of Russia, he didn't look any different than Rav Mendel in Russia. There's no difference, right? Either what did Rav Mendel say, right? We talked about it a couple days ago. That if the Rebbe were in Russia, we would have been smuggling people into Russia. <laughs> it just happens to be the Rebbe is out of Russia, so we're smuggling people out of Russia. <laughs> it didn't make any difference. Right? He said he never understood why they were so upset at him for smuggling people out of Russia. Of course, I'm smuggling people out of Russia. The Rebbe's out of Russia. If the Rebbe was in Russia, I'd be smuggling people from Germany into Russia <laughs> so they could go to the Rebbe. 
Right. <laughs> he said, I don't, what's bothering these people? That's just who he was. It wasn't the Dover Nisif. We'll see. Okay.